Welcome everybody to another episode of Straight Out Whack Live. Let's uh, we're gonna recap a wild, wacky night of whack hoops on Whack Wednesday. How about them apples to start off this show? Let's get it going right now. Goody will drive left handed flush over the top of Kipnang. Pull back, step back, three, bottom. It's short, tip back in, Weaver got it, yes! Neely, the handoff, Jones for the tie, oh, oh he's down, and one! Presents itself with what you gotta take, you can't... It's knocked away, still loose, Doherty the heave, oh my god! Welcome to the Straight Out of Whack Podcast. What's up, everybody? It is another episode of Straight Out Whack Live. I'm bringing going to bring in Daryl, but first, I want to start off with a little video clip from one of the games last night in East Texas. This one takes place in West Texas, excuse me, at Moody Coliseum, part of a big night for a pair of players, but this one in particular, so enjoy. Steal by Wernley. Earl up top, rising, layup, good! It's a triple-double for Bella Earl. Kennedy rising, puts it in the bucket. Back-to-back games for Bella with three double-figure stats, 19 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists for Bella Earl. Back-to-back games. Back-to-back games with a triple-double for Bella Earl, ACU. I believe she's a junior guard right now, right? Is that is that? Am I looking at that right? Let me just make sure. Um, I believe she's been there for three years. Yeah, she's a junior guard. Back-to-back triple-double. She had one the other night. Uh, in their win against Navy, 19 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. I mean, we don't see triple-doubles very often these days, and now we've seen one in back-to-back games, Daryl. And then on top of that, Peyton Hole had herself another 30-point game, 31 points, back-to-back games with 30-plus points for this true freshman point guard, you know, two pre- true freshman guard for ACU. What's interesting to me about that video clip that we just saw, the the assist that gave her Bella Earl a triple-double, you see Julie Goodenough call timeout immediately after the bucket, almost like she's subbing everybody out. She just wanted her to get that assist. Did you did you see that? Yeah, um, that was at the point where I had switched over games um, to the Tarleton SFA game, so I was monitoring it on live stats, but I didn't actually see the play where she crossed the, uh, the triple-double line until you just showed it. But, yeah. You can see Julie good enough in the background. Like you can see her running down the sideline. As soon as the bucket's made, she's boom. She's right there. Timeout to get Bella Earl off. It was part of a pretty good win for ACU to start off whack play 94 76 over UT Arlington at Moody Coliseum. And Daryl, the crazy thing about this ball game is that UT Arlington probably played its best game offensively. Like they had three players in double figures. Uh, Hannah Humphrey had 20 points. Gia Adams had 18. And Avery Brittingham had 15. So, like, it seemed like it was a really good ball game for UTA, but they just couldn't stop ACU. Yeah, it was. And if you're going to get into a jump shooting contest with ACU, good luck. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's basically the way a UTA pl- played for the first two, you know, half, and they they were right there. They just could not string together the stops necessary to uh, keep ACU under control. And whatever they found in Annapolis, good grief, bottle it up. Yeah. 
Yeah, very true. So, uh, you know, good start for ACU. Uh, the Wildcats are, I believe, uh, let me look at it here. I didn't write this down. I apologize, folks. But on Saturday, they're on the road somewhere. I know that because you play one home game, you play one road game in this first, these first two. So they're at Stephen F. Austin on Saturday. There's the 2 p.m. Central Time tip-off. So let's talk about this SFA team that played last night at Tarleton. I don't know why there's an echo. I don't know if it's my system or what, but there's an echo a little bit. I'm sorry for that, folks. We're still working out the kinks of these live streams, so bear with us. Anyways, the Stephen F. Austin women going to Tarleton. Two new head coaches, Leonard Bishop, Bill Brock. Basically a bunch of new players on both squads. And it was a game until maybe late in the fourth quarter when SFA started hitting three-pointers. And you were watching that game, so let's hear your breakdown of the Lady Jackson, their win over Tarleton last night. Yeah, um, SFA started slow from the three-point line. They hit one in the first quarter, and then the they just started filling it up from the outside. Um, Kyla Deck with another big uh, late, November, early December performance, 24 points, uh, 6 of 9, I believe it was, from uh, three-point distance. Lady Jacks hit a season-high 14 threes in that win. Um, you know, 14 of 35 for 40%. Um, that, that's got to make Leonard Bishop feel good, um, especially with the struggles, not the last game out at home, but the previous home game against uh, North Texas. Um and, you know, if you watch these two teams, it looks like it'll be a shootout again on Saturday when them and ACU get together. Tarleton's, uh, Tarleton under Bill Brock continues to hang around and battle. They just cannot get over that hump. Um, they gave SFA a game, like you said, Kyle, for a solid three and first couple minutes of the fourth. But that once those three-pointers started to go for SFA, it was just going to be hard for them to keep up. Uh Faith Acker impressed in her her college debut, um, 16 points, 7 rebounds to lead uh, the Texans. And this is a, a post player that I'm pretty confident WAC fans will enjoy watching for the next several years if she stays in uh, Tarleton Purple. Yeah, uh, I want to I want to look through the, the 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 box score here real quick, and I'm looking at it, and you see. That from, uh, I want to say, about the four-minute mark after Kyla Deck hit a pair of uh, free throws to give the Lady Jacks a seven-point lead, Avery Van Sickle with a three-pointer. Um, Tyler McClimate call with a layup. Kyla Deck with a three-pointer. All of a sudden, it's a 13-point game. Um, and then Avery Van Sickle with another three-pointer with a minute left to make it a 15-point game. So... It was just a matter of the fact that the Lady Jacks started hitting shots to win the ball game late because it was a decent ball game. I mean, it was it was a five point game with four thirty two left when Lexi Bull hit a three pointer. They got it down again to it was down to three at one point in the fourth quarter. It was down to I believe it was two. It was tied going into the fourth quarter. So I think you're right when we say that. When it comes to Tarleton, they need to finish, plain and simple. They, they're just not finishing ball games um, and getting over that hump with that win. And, and it'll come. I believe it will because they played well, and they have confidence to, that they can beat people. 
Uh, it was just a matter of SFA hitting shots. So, I mean, what else did you see in that ball game that you really liked? Yeah, Faith Acker, I think, was the big story. It seems like the newcomers have been the story the first couple of weeks of the season. You know, Peyton Hull doing what she's doing at ACU, um, Chloe Lemon at CBU, uh, Ava Ulrich at SUU, and now you had, this is the first, first time I've seen Tarleton play this year other than the end of that Eastern game. And, and Kyle, I don't know how much of that game you saw, but Faith Acker impressed the heck out of me. Um, 16 points, 7 rebounds. Did a really good job defensively on uh, Kirsten Harden when uh, called upon to defend her down in the block. Made things very difficult for the senior. Um, although the senior did get to the line 18 times, most of them on her. Um, but Faith Acker, that, keep an eye on that name for the next several years because that's a post player that WAC fans will enjoy watching. In a, in a league that we have several really talented post players, and I would venture... Kyle, I don't know how you feel about this. I feel like we're becoming a very post-predominant league. Uh, I mean, it's always been that kind of league. Like we, I shouldn't say always been that kind of league. It's been a guard-heavy league. There are some great post players in this league. Kirsten Harden, Addison Martin. Um, among Grace Schmidt. Avery Brittingham, Grace Schmidt. You know, there's some really good post players. Megan Smith. Uh, so... Yeah, it's becoming an interesting dynamic, uh, especially on the women's side. You know, men's side, I think it's still a guard-heavy league. There's some good bigs, but I don't think, you know, there's the dominant big that we've had maybe the last couple years. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to see how it all plays out in that regard. I th and we saw the last two WAC champions on the women's side, SFA, they had size, right? Um, and then... Last year with Southern Utah, they had size. Megan Jensen and Lizzie Williamson, like they had size. So that plays a huge part in winning championships on the women's side because you have to have that interior presence. Yeah, and you have to have the ability to go inside out with your bigs. Um, you know, you think about that SFA team, you had Stephanie Vischer who could do a little bit of both. You think about Megan Smith who is more your prototypical post who can – you know, with the back to the basket, but has shown the ability to stretch defenses out to three-point land this year. And then Acker, um, same mold, traditional big back to the basket type post player, but without quite the range that a Megan Smith has. But I'm sure the range will come when she works on it. Yeah, so we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna switch over a little bit right now to the men's side. Uh, we're gonna go to East Texas. Uh, I've been to Nacogdoches quite a few times in the past two years, which is kind of cool. Uh, a lot of friends down there. I want to say I'm not surprised by the outcome. I, I, I want to say I, I'm I'm surprised that Tarleton won outright. And I'm tired of my echo. I'm sorry, you guys. Like, I don't know why there's an echo here. Um, it's very weird. So, anyways. I'm not surprised that Tarleton hung around. Not at all. Without With Billy Gillespie's sideline, they're playing for their head coach right now. They won two games the SoCal Challenge. Played really well. They're, they're confident. They play defense. They get after it. So that's not a surprise that they hung around. The plus nine that you know was the line, I, I, there was no surprises there that, that they would possibly cover that. So winning outright, though, that's a little bit more of a story. I mean... It was a nine-point lead for SFA with about nine minutes to go. 
and Tarleton won the ball game outright. Uh, they finished. I don't even know the run right now. I'd have to look it up, but you know they and then then they also tried to give it away. Like they fouled on a three point shoot. Foul Frank standing on a three point shot. He made all three free throws. Then they didn't hit free throws and gave SFA a chance. Matt Heyman missed two free throws that would have tied the game, but SFA got the rebound and had a good look, but Kamari Wilson's three-pointer didn't go. So, oh, it's going to be a fun league, Daryl, because SFA is a preseason number two. They had big wins over LMU and Drake in the Cayman Islands Classic, got throttled by Utah State. I was thinking they were going to come out with their hair on fire on Wednesday night, and then Tarleton goes in there and beats the Jacks to create some chaos, right? This early, like in a game that matters significantly because you have to win conference games in order to go to whack Vegas. You don't want to be on the outside looking in. So it's wacky whack madness already, and we're only in November. Not only that, but defending home floor in this league is going to be huge. And for Tarleton, that's a road steal, as good a road steal as you can get in this league to go into Johnson Coliseum and knock off the Jacks. Um, now, the trick is for Tarleton, don't give that game back. Don't give that game back with a bad loss at home. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I don't know that it'll ever be a bad loss if they lose to SFA at home, um, but they do host, uh, let's see, looking at this, going back into it, they host UTRGV on Saturday. So Tarleton could very easily be 2-0, and to start whack play. That, that's crazy. And I'm not saying this is no disrespect to the Texans. Like, we didn't know much about you. We knew you had Lou Williams. We knew you had Ja'Cory Smith, Keandre Gaddy. After that, there's a bunch of unknowns, right? So the fact they went into SFA, one, without their head coach, I don't know what to make of this Tarleton team. I think they're going to be very good. I, But maybe it's too early to tell because – Maybe SFA was still in that mode of trying to figure things out because, you know, you're not used to playing conference games early on or this early in the season. So I don't know. It'll be very interesting to see what happens on Saturday. Plus, here's the other kicker. UTRGV was one of two teams to beat Tarleton at Wisdom Gym last year. So could we get some more craziness on Saturday? And my family's going to be very upset at me because I'm going to be on my phone checking scores and checking streams while we're at the family Christmas party. I hope my wife is watching this because like, I'm going to be locked in to that while we're trying to open White Elephant and other stuff. So uh, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens uh, and how we go moving forward. But like you said, that's a big win. I'm trying to pull up the Ken Palm right now to check it out to see what the ranking was, um, how far they jumped. Kyle, I want to go back to something you were talking about earlier about you know teams not being able or ready to play conference games, you know at this point in November. Uh, reminded me of something Jared Olson said to me last week. He was like, "If you ask any coach in this league, I'm sure they'll tell you to a T. Nobody is well, ready to play a game, a conference game in November." It's just the hand we've been dealt, and we got to roll with it. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. You can't change it now, right? You have to play them. And it's just it's just interesting because a lot of coaches coach differently in November and December than they do in January, February, March. So, 
the mindset is different because now you're playing a game that actually means so much because you don't want to be on the outside looking in down the road in February when it comes to WAC Vegas. So these games are must-win situations. Non-conference games, you want to win those. You want to pull off an upset at times. Everybody wants to win, right? But they're not necessarily must-win games because you have to take care of business in conference just to make it to the conference tournament. So that's why these two games this week, you know, and a couple of them are next week, are so big. We are going to take a quick break. Um, I do want to go over one thing. Tarleton jumped to 157 in Ken Palm after their win at SFA. SFA dropped out of the Ken Palm top 100 to 108. Uh, Utah Valley jumped up from 180, 174 to 167 after their win over Seattle. Seattle dropped from 131 to 143. So, We'll get into more of these games in just a moment. We're going to come back in about 30 seconds. All right, everybody, we're back in the Straight Out of Whack live show, I guess we can call it now. Uh, we're recapping the Whack openers from Wacky Whack Wednesday. We've gone over Abilene Christian women and big performances from Peyton Hole, as well as Bella Earl with her triple-double, second triple-double in two games. Um, we also talked about the SFA men, actually Tarleton men, upsetting SFA in Nacogdoches last night. Uh, Ja'Cory Smith, Keandre Gaddy, Lou Williams, they were really good for the Texans in that win, um, even though they almost gave the game back to SFA. So a uh, big-time road win to open up whack play for the Texans. Uh, you know, we talked about SFA at Tarleton, uh, women's game. Jacks, Lady Jacks pulled it out late, kind of pulled away. It was a 50-50 game at, to start the fourth quarter. And the Lady Jacks just kind of started hitting shots, finding their offensive rhythm uh, to pull away for the win there. Uh, I want to talk about the ACU Abilene Christian at UT Arlington men's game last night. So ACU came out, got started really quick, led, I believe it was like 9 nothing, really quick out of the gate. And then slowly UT Arlington starts making their run to come back. There was a, I believe it was like a four or five minute drought from ACU in the middle of the first half towards the later part of the first half. And here's the kicker. UTA outscored uh, ACU 45-37 after half. You know, they had a seven point lead at halftime. But UT Arlington shot 65% from the field in the second half. They were eight of 10 from three-point range. Eight of their 13 field goals after halftime were three-pointers. Like, that's awesome. Here's the crazy part. They still, they won by 15, right? And it wasn't like ACU shot bad. They shot 43% in the second half. They just, 
I mean, UTA hit 12 three-pointers in the game. ACU hit eight. UTA shot 28 free throws, made 20. ACU shot 19 free throws and made 13. So this was a pretty clean ball game. It was, <laughs> I want to point this out too, Daryl, and I don't know how it was on the women's side. I'll have to go back and look at it for maybe tomorrow's show that we can talk about it. I think this is one of the few games that had less than 40 fouls called, um, even though there were a ton of free throws shot in this game. Looks There was uh, 47 free throws shot in this game, and 40 fouls called. So maybe it's right around the average for the men's games last night outside of the UTRGV GCU fiasco. But uh, KT Turner, new head coach, he got his first win, first conference win. Uh, you know, it's a good way for them to start off their their uh, reward. They get to go to Grand Canyon on Saturday and play the Lopes. So uh, I'm interested to see how that game goes. I'm very interested because uh, we saw GCU struggled a little bit last night in Edinburgh. Uh, yeah, they came out with a, I believe it was a 10 point win. Um, but it was within five in the last few minutes. There were a lot of fouls called. There were 71 free throws shot in that ball game, Daryl. Like 71 free throws. Oh my, How that gives me a headache just thinking about it. Yeah, right? Like, it was awful. Trying to figure uh, out how to fit that many free throws in a scorebook, too. Oh, my. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, let's see. There was, uh, let's see. Fouls were, Gabe McLaughlin fouled out. Duke Brennan fouled out. Sid Curry fouled out for GCU. Dalen Williams fouled out for UTRGV. There were 28. There were 54 fouls called. So, Technically, it wasn't too bad. It just seemed like all of them were shooting fouls. So, I mean, it's it's kind of wild how that played. Because, like I said, there were 40 fouls called in the UT Arlington ACU game. But only, what is that, 47 free throws were attempted. So, a lot of the free throws that took place in the UTRGV game were simply shooting free throws, shooting fouls. GCU was 24 of 37 from the line. UTRGV was 26 of 34 from the line. UTRGV made more free throws than they did field goals for the game. Mm -hmm. Not a good recipe for success. GCU made one less free throw than they did field goals for the game. That is a crazy, crazy, crazy stat. Uh, Yeah, I don't know that I'm a fan of that. But oh, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that because there were a lot of whistles in every game last night. It felt like a lot of whistles. And I was at the Seattle U, Utah Valley game, another really fun ball game between those two. And lots of whistles at times. And it was weird because the officials didn't call the foul maybe before the, they blew their whistle where they called a different foul. like. It was it was amazing to me uh, what they called, what they didn't call. Uh, I'm not going to go into that because I don't want to be that guy that criticizes officials, but um, it was a rough first night of whack play for the officials on Wednesday night. 
Um, somebody just posted a, a comment. I'm going to show your comment, Brady. Um, does it show how many fouls were in the second half of the GCU game? I'm going to look it up right now. Um, it doesn't tell me here. Yeah, it doesn't tell me here in this in-depth, uh, this box score, so I can't go into that. I would love to if I could. Um, I do know that in the second half, GCU shot 20 free throws. They were 13 of 20 from the free throw line. And UTRGV in the second half was 16 of 22 from the free throw line. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a lot of free throws to be shot. UTRGV took 10 more free throw attempts than they did in the first half. GCU took three more free throw attempts than they did in the second in the first half. So, uh, I don't know what to make of it, Daryl, and that'll be a discussion because there's so many, so many. Um, yeah, it was it was there were a lot of free throws taken in that game, Brady. Like I, I get it. The thing is, it's going to be hard because there's so many different styles of play in the whack. Like. That's just the way it is. You're going to have one night where it's going to be a game like it was in UTRGV where I think officials anticipate the physicality, but they take that into they take that more into consideration than just letting the guys play, if that makes sense. Do you, do you think about that, Daryl? Yeah. Um, no. They're going to call what they're going to call. I, I mean, and every crew has a different standard of what's considered, you know, acceptable contact but, versus... They are going to call what they're going to call. But the problem is, is you have so many differing styles of basketball in the Western Athletic Conference. And when these officials are officiating different leagues, where maybe the, the style of basketball isn't the same as what they're getting, you know, like you're going to have West Coast basketball, where that, you know, the West Coast Conference is more finesse and more pace and get up and down the floor and score a lot of points and stuff like that. You're going to have. The big sky, same kind of similar type thing. They don't get after it necessarily physically, defensively like the WAC does. So when you're jumping from league to league, it feels like it's going to be a struggle to to kind of, like you said, they're going to call what they're going to call, but it's going to be a struggle because they're not used. Maybe there's some officials that aren't used to Stephen F. Austin getting after you defensively as hard as they do or Tarleton getting after somebody. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this consortium works out when, you know, officials are jumping from league to league to league. And it's even harder because we haven't seen conference games up until now with all these other leagues. And so when you're playing two, you know, a conference game this early, they're not really ready for that because they're not, they haven't, maybe they haven't officiated a UTRGV or a GCU. So they don't know what they're expecting, right? Like that, that's going to happen this early which makes it even harder um, to kind of see how things play out. Yeah, you, and, and you try to go in, like, I used to work volleyball at the high school level. You try to go into each game with an open mind and give each team your best, but, but you're right, bouncing from league to league, from conference to conference, especially if you're in the consortium where, say, you could be working in the WCC one night, you know, LMU, get on a plane, fly to Texas, work up, you know, a, a UTA game the next day, hop on a plane out of DFW, fly, I don't know, fly to Spokane, you're working an Idaho game in the big sky. I mean, that's that's tough too. 
Yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I don't. I I wouldn't stress over it. You know, for the fans that watched that game last night, I don't think this is going to be the norm for the whack. But I do think you have to expect that there's going to be whistles you're not going to like because it's just so many different styles of play that officials are going to have a hard time adjusting. Hopefully they're able to maybe look at film or maybe get some critique on, Hey, this, 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 because I know coaches send in films. I know coaches send in clips and I know coaches talk to uh, the WAC consortium, you know, John Higgins. Um, so we'll see what happens and how that plays out. Uh, but yeah, a lot of free throws were shot last night in Edinburgh. A lot of fouls were called. A lot of people fouled out. So, and, and here's the thing. In the Tarleton SFA game, Calendra Gaddy, Ja'Cory Smith both fouled out. Uh, Dario, Dario Domingos had four fouls, and he only played six minutes. You know, Krishan Christmas had four fouls for the Jacks. So, like, it's just the way that people want to play. They want to play a pace. They want to play, phys- you know, a physical style of defense. And, you know, you just got to adjust, like, to the whistles. So it's unfortunate that that's kind of the case, but you just have to adjust. So um, either way, GCU got a 10-point win over the Vaqueros to stay, you know, to be undefeated, the preseason whack favorites, you know, kind of had a battle. So we'll see how they handle UT Arlington on Saturday. Um, I want to take a little break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about a coach who got his first win of his head coaching career last night. So we'll be right back after this 30-second break. Welcome back to this Strata Whack live show as we recap the Whack openers on a Wacky Whack Wednesday last night. Uh, it was There were some surprises. Like we said, Tarleton men beating Stephen F. Austin in Nacogdoches. Uh, we had another big performance from the SFA or the ACU women. Freshman Peyton Hull went for 31 points. Bella Earl had a triple-double. Uh, SFA women, the Lady Jacks went into Tarleton. In a game of two new head coaches, Leonard Bishop, you know, got his first whack win over Bill Brock uh, as the Lady Jacks shot really well down the stretch. UT Arlington men gave KT Turner his first conference win uh, with a double-digit win over ACU as they shot the lights out in the second half. So now I want to talk about a coach who got his first win. Last night, sitting at 0-6, Seattle U, Seattle U women opened up with Utah Valley at the Red Hawk Center. Basically, the Red Hawks led start to finish. Um, it was tied after the first quarter at 14. And then uh, in an ugly offensive game, we'll just say that, Seattle U gave Skyler Young a 58-48 win, his first win of the season, and of his head coaching career. And we're going to listen to what he had to say uh, as he talked with Russ Brown after the ball game. Huge win. Sometimes conference play is seen as a refresh, a new start. 1-0 in conference play. First win of the 23-24 season. What did you see out of your squad? 
uh, grit. And that's all we talked is a full 40 minutes. Even though we had some stretches that we didn't score for about four minutes, can we dig deep and find it through? And I felt like just the first game, we competed for all 40 minutes without relenting. A lot of players stepped up. Maya Moore, Juliana Walker back on the court as well. Kuralinko, Inerante, so many big shots. Talk about your team. It seemed like a real team effort. Well, I told them it's not going to be one individual, three individuals. It's going to be all 13 individuals a part of our program that have to be ready to go at any given moment. Anna come out, hit a couple big threes. Riri has that Steph Curry confidence, hit a big three late. Jules didn't play for the whole season, comes out and gives us a spark in the first half. And then, you know, Peyton, you give it to her in the high post, she goes at the rim. And Maya fights through foul trouble, stays with it, and this team is finding the grit. And like you said, it's conference season. We know how it goes. It's all about conference season. It's all about the march to march. Love it. Got to mention, 1-0 first win at the helm of the Red Hour program. I know you don't care. It's all about the win, but not about you yourself. But how does it feel to finally get that first one? Oh, it's great. You know, it's just great, but now we got build. You know how I go. I'm back to work. We got a tough game going down to Cedar City. We're going to celebrate this tonight and back to work. Try to keep it going. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's back to work. You know, uh, congratulations, Skyler Young, on your first win as a head coach. Uh, just, it, it was, I'm looking at this stat sheet. They held Utah Valley to 30% shooting from the field, 50% from the free throw line. And 18% from three-point range. The Wolverines were four of 22 uh, from three-point range. But it wasn't much better offensively for the Red Hawks. Like, it was just, it was a little less than 40% from the field. They did hit seven three-pointers, so that was the difference. But, uh, you know, Skyler Young, right on the money with the fact that you got to get back to work and you got to build on it now. You know, and, and it's an, a great win to get started in whack play. It's crazy when I hear, you know, Russ talk about, you know, uh, what do I want to say, the whack season, I guess. You could say. We're not even – like, it's so crazy to think we, we have another month until we start up conference play again after this week. Like, is that weird to think? Like, we're not really in yes. conference season, but we're playing conference games that matter. It's, it's like they just – the conference office just found a random spot for two conference games – um, which I get they had to do with going to 20 conference games. They had to find a week or a week and a half spot somewhere in, in that non-conference schedule for teams to play these two games. But it does feel very weird to be talking about conference openers, you know, on December the, or November the 30th. Um, I, I don't know too many conferences in the country at the Division One level that do it. And there's probably a few at the small college level, but not as many as well, you would think. You look at some of them. I think we have the Mountain West Missouri Valley Conference Challenge. We have the Big Ten, uh, uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge, ACC, SEC, whatever. All these challenges are going on interconference right now. Nobody's in conference play. But like you said, they had to figure out a way to get 20 games so that everybody played everybody twice, which I'm, it makes sense. Um, it's just crazy that this is where we're at right now. So, uh, but yeah, congratulations, Skylar Young. Got that win. They're at Southern Utah on Saturday uh, to see if they get win number two. But they have just as many conference wins now. Or they're, let's see, let me look at it here. They had five conference wins last year. So they're well on their way to getting five conference wins. We'll see if they can keep that rolling, like I said, when they go to Cedar City. Uh, so there was another game between 
Seattle U and Utah Valley. God, this echo is just so bad. I don't know where it's coming from, everybody, so forgive me. I'll get that worked out. Stay with us as we continue to roll here. Uh, but there was another thriller between the Seattle U men and Utah Valley men in Orem last night. Came down the final few possessions. I called it. I said it would, as it usually does. Um, Jaden McClanahan got a steal, got fouled, hit one of two free throws um, that gave the Wolverines a four-point lead. And then on the second free throw that he missed, Trevin Dorius came down with the offensive board. Wolverines hit free throws to win the game. I love this series. Like, people do not talk about this series between Seattle U and Utah Valley enough. Okay, I wrote about it on our Substack page. You can check that out on the Wack Hoops Nation Substack page. Um, I will also put it on Twitter again uh, since I wrote it this morning. But Cam Tyson did what he does. He hit seven three-pointers. The problem with Seattle right now is they don't have that third scoring option. That's what I noticed last night. They hung around with Utah Valley because they're, they're a really good team. But they didn't have that third guy that could go for 15 or 20 points like they did with Riley Grigsby last year. Like, they just didn't. Um, they have guys that can contribute, but they don't have that guy that can score or create his own shot like Riley Grigsby could, um, like Cam Tyson can, like Alex Schumacher can. So they got to figure that out. Um, they're going to be just fine. But they have, when they get John Christophilus back, they're going to be just fine too. Um, he's out with that uh, hand injury. So they hope to get him back soon. Utah Valley, on the other hand, like I really – I don't want to say I was surprised about what happened last night because, you know, with Seattle U and Utah Valley, things happen. Uh, Trevin Dorius played really well. Jamie McClanahan played really well. Uh, Caleb Stone Carewell hit shots. Uh, the big thing is they shot – free throws really well down the stretch. I believe they were like seven of eight or nine of 10 down the stretch to win that ball game. Uh, and they got physical too. Like the, the Kobe Williamson was averaging like 18.6 points per game coming in. And he only finished, he only finished with five points last night. Brent Chatfield had 10 points, uh, but four of those points came off free throws. So, the rebounding, I mean, Seattle U won the rebounding margin, but it felt like Utah Valley was just a more physical team in that ball game. Uh, but again, it came down to the final few possessions in the 78-72 win for the Wolverines, who now lead the series 14 to 13. Um Darryl, I, I love underrated rivalries when people don't pay attention to them as much as maybe they should. Yeah, and this is definitely one people should pay attention to. You look at the history between the two teams, 14-13, it doesn't get much closer than that. Um, yeah. I and, mean... And in my article, I pointed this out in my article. So last year, the teams combined for 48 wins. The year before, they combined for 43 wins. And they have... Um, they have won... So Seattle U won the share of the regular season title 21-22, and Utah Valley won it outright in 2022-23. So, I mean, these both these teams are winning at a high clip, and nobody's talking about it. Like it's it's kind of wild. Yeah, it's maybe part of it is the fact that you know it is the whack, and a lot of these games are played after a lot of the national folks. Uh, 
are tucked safely in their beds at night with phones and mo- and uh, laptops shut off for the night. But, I mean, get some coffee, guys. Uh, stay up with us uh, back east. Um, enjoy some great whack after dark basketball on both sides of the ball. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. got a great product yeah. out here. And the thing is, they're both full of, they both have hometown kids that want to, you know, take them back to the, take them to the NCAA tournament. Utah Valley's never been to the NCAA tournament. Seattle U, it's been a long, long time since they've been to the NCAA tournament. So, uh, I mean, you got Cam Tyson and Christophilus that are both, you know, right there, local kids from Seattle. Uh, you got Trevin Dorius, Drake Allen, and a couple others that are locals, you know, to the Utah County area. So, uh, it, it's it's a very interesting dynamic that the teams share, and there have been some classic ball games between them too. I know I was there for one in Seattle a couple of years ago when Trey Woodbury hit a three pointer in overtime to give the Wolverines a win, and then I was there when Morgan Means beat the Wolverines in Orem, and then last year when Riley Grigsby banked in three, basically sealed the win for the Redhawks. So it's just a very underrated rivalry fun atmosphere last night on native American heritage night and at the UCCU center. Um, so let's talk about this final men's game. I'm trying to see if I can get him on here. I don't know if he's going to jump in. He's at Caesar's palace. I don't know what he's doing at Caesar's palace. I hope he's having fun. Uh, if you are there, Braden, go to the, uh, Gordon Ramsay's little, I don't know if it's a pub and grill or whatever it is. That's there. In their casino, very good, very good. My buddy John and I go there um, on championship Saturday at the WAC tournament every year, so uh, I love it. But CBU, I don't know how it worked out last night or prior to the game, was a one-and-a-half-point underdog going into Southern Utah, okay? And all CBU did was win by 25 points at America First Event Center. Um, I was talking to Spencer McLaughlin, who calls the SUU games. Uh, he, I talked to him after the game, and he said CBU was good, but it was also like it was almost like Southern Utah just didn't hit shots. Like they have guys that can hit shots, but they weren't knocking him down. Now. I didn't watch the game. I'll admit, I have to go back and watch that game to reevaluate things and see what happened. But it was a 42-34 game at halftime. After halftime, CBU shot 55% from the field. Southern Utah shot 44. Here's the crazy thing. CBU hit 11 three-pointers in the win. Southern Utah didn't even take 11 three-pointers in the loss. So that tells me a couple things. First, the CBU guards were obviously better, and the CBU guards locked down the perimeter knowing that because of Southern Utah's lack of size, they could defend a little bit more aggressively on the perimeter. Like, that's what happens when you don't have size against a team that does have size. You had Parsifala for Southern Utah. And then you have Hunter Goodrick, Ivan Udreogo for CBU, plus Malik Wade. That's advantage CBU. And, you know, despite the fact that Fala ended up in double figures with 14, the CBU guards could still be more aggressive because they knew they had protection in the paint. 
So you push the Southern Utah guards off the perimeter. You're able to like lock them down because you know you have some protection behind you. And I feel like that was the big turning point. I'm going to have to go and verify that theory, Daryl, from what I see from the stat cast and talking to people. But that's exactly what it feels like. But but I want to go back to that second half uh, field goal shooting percentage for, for CBU. You shoot 55% on the road. You're going to win a lot of games in this yep. conference. Yep. Um, that's a heck of a start for Rick Croy and crew to whack play. And now they are idle for, I believe it's the next five days, six days until Wednesday. Yeah, because I think because of that scheduling thing with the Valerie Vents Center, they're the one team that has, I think they host Utah Tech, if I remember right. Yeah, because the women are in, in uh, St. George on the 6th. Yeah, so they don't play till next Wednesday when they host Utah Tech. And we know how crazy those games get between the Trailblazers and Lancers, you know, there in Riverside. So, but uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. And I mean, I just, Scotty, Scotty Washington went off last night, 21 points. He had six three pointers. All six of his field goals were three pointers. Um, Brantley Stevenson was in double figures with 15. Blondo, Blondo, Blondo Chiquinho had 16, and Ivan Udriogo had 12 points. Uh, so, I mean, it was, yeah, 11 of 23 from three point land, just under 48%. I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of it because I don't want to read too much into it. Like, you know, CBU is this great team. They're good, but was it a mix of Southern Utah not showing up, not being prepared, you know, or is CBU that good? I, I'm very interested to see. You have a week off. You have Utah Tech on board. And then six days after Utah Tech, you're going to Eugene to take on Oregon. So will CBU be laser focused against Utah Tech, knowing who they have on deck? Or will they maybe like take them a little bit lightly? win, you know, the game, and then, you know, looking forward to Oregon. So validate it, Lancers, in a week when you play Utah Tech. Validate it. I'm sorry, Doc. I love you guys, and I hope, you know, you continue to win and show me and prove me wrong uh, since I was given grief last night that I didn't pick the Lancers to win that game against Southern Utah. So uh, we'll see what happens. Anyways. Daryl, any last thoughts from our first night of WAC openers uh, from WAC basketball? Tomorrow, I think we're going to talk about the officiating, the foul shooting. I'll have to go back and point, put put the numbers together for both the men's games and women's games. Uh, we'll have some thoughts on some other performances from individual players. Um, and maybe we'll talk about seating system. I don't know break down this whole eight teams to whack Vegas scenario and how these games are just, it's wild to have these two games in the middle of non-commerce play. I don't know, but there are any final thoughts here as we wind down this episode of the straight out whack live show. Uh, we got, I think we did not touch on the uh, GCU UTRGV women's game at GCU arena. You were watching that. You were paying attention. Here's the thing. GCU won by double digits. It was a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Lopes jumped out to a 22-8 lead. I thought UTRGV was done for. It, it shows grit from UTRGV to not let that, you know, get completely out of hand. But I'm trying to say this as nicely as possible. What is going on with the GCU women that, like, either one, they can't put people away, or two, they're just not firing 
on all cylinders offensively? Like, is it just a matter that they're still trying to figure it out? I know Olivia Lane had a big game last night, so I don't know. What what do you see? We'll have to ask Chelsea, get Chelsea on one of these shows and ask her and talk to her about it. Uh, but it, it concerns me that there's the offense is still kind of a struggle. Uh, but that that if you go back through Molly Miller's tenure in Phoenix, offense has been their bugaboo. You know, you you look at the first year. Okay, fine. She's trying to put the, the defense in. I I get it. The second year, she gets Amara Graham to join that group, and it was offense was still a struggle. Last year, she adds Sydney Palma, um, Evan Zars, Lane, and. The offense got a little bit better, but it was still it. Offense seems to be the the Lopes' biggest struggle, yeah. and going into UT Arlington on Saturday, I if UT Arlington shoots the way they did against ACU last night, I am very that is a trouble game for me if you're a Lopes fan. Yeah, but we'll say that and then watch GCU go win by twenty somehow. Like we just, it's we we I I can't underestimate Molly Miller, you know, and the Lopes. Like they just find a way to win, and that's what's most important right now. It doesn't matter how ugly or how pretty it is. It's all about finding a way to win, especially a conference game. So it just it just concerns me because they have a lot of offensive weapons on that team, and when you're playing, when you want to play a pace, and when you want to press, and when you want to, you know, I think. I'm not a coach. I don't get paid the big bucks. But I think they have to be more about getting in transition instead of setting up a half-court offense after they maybe get a turnover or a missed shot when they sped somebody up because I feel like Trinity San Antonio plays so much better in transition than she does in a half-court offense of set. Uh, same with Tiara Brown. Um, I just – I don't know. That's just my thought, and, you know, we'll see how it goes. But uh, – I'm not going to underestimate the Lopes because, like you said, we could be talking here and, and wondering what's going on with their offense, and then they'll go score 85 points, you know, on Saturday. So uh, it's one of those things, you know. It's all about winning games, right? Yeah, it's all about winning games, and that's the first and foremost. And they certainly did that. But you know, if they're going to drop one of the first couple, this is one I would look at. Um, you got a UTA team that, you know. Shot the ball really well at ACU and Moody last night, um, with just one Division One win on the year, one win at all to show for the year. Because I don't think they played a non-D one countable game. Right. Um. That's got Colorado next week, so you know that's a Lady Math squad that's going to be desperate for a win. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how it all plays out. We're one game into whack play, and it's already crazy wacky. Uh, we still have the Utah Tech women and Utah Tech men who haven't played their first WAC game. Uh, Utah Tech women are at Utah Valley on Saturday. Utah Tech men host Utah Valley on Saturday. So uh, very interesting to see how things play out. Uh, somebody's going to be 2-0. Teams are going to be some teams are going to be one and one. Other teams are going to be owned two. So it's a very very interesting time as we start the month of December. Everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Straight Out of Whack live show today. We'll be back tomorrow at 1230. Remember to subscribe to the Whack Hoops Nation YouTube channel, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Straight Out of Whack podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting platforms. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.
Remember to follow Wack Hoops Nation on all your favorite social media platforms.